the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Romans 3.23, he makes it clear. All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Romans 5.1 tells us what he did because of that. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I know you don't like to hear this, but I've told you this before. You're your own worst enemy. You're the worst person you ever meet. You know how I can prove that to you? Just ask yourself who's always been there at every bad decision you've ever made. You have. So you've got to start with eradicating that evil in your heart. And that's why, number five, you need to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. You need to come to that place where you understand you were born a sinner and that sin separates you from God. And your only hope is to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin as a result of the hope of the gospel. When you're saved, that evil is eradicated from your heart. But evil must not only be eradicated individually, evil must be eradicated institutionally. You begin to look at the world and say, where do we eradicate evil in society? So church, understand this. We are not social warriors. However, because I am a follower of Jesus Christ and because I'm pursuing his holiness and because I've eradicated evil in my life by the grace of God and now I'm clothed in his righteousness. When I see that there are those who take human life in the form of a baby that was made in the image of God, I stand against that because I say that is evil. And because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, when I see that there are those who are trafficking young boys and young girls and young men and young women into modern-day slavery with human trafficking through massage parlors and, and, and striptease places, I stand against that evil because I say they, these were people made in the image of God and for His glory. And that means when I see homelessness on the streets, I recognize that nobody grows up as a little seven-year-old boy and, and says, I hope I can one day be homeless. So I know they're hurting and they're in need of a help. They're in the need of comfort and the hope that comes from Jesus. And I want to eradicate that evil. And that's why in a time like this, I say to Target, enough! You've lost your mind. I have to stand against the things you're standing for because it's evil in this world. And I want to live my life eradicating evil. But this is interesting. He uses a word that at first gets on my nerves. He says he will soon crush Satan. I'm like, really, Lord? Like, when? 
I feel like sometimes I'm talking to my boys. I, the Purvis Pack, man, I love our family. Got a couple of boys home from college. But I'm just telling you, inevitably, there will be conversations like this in our house. Because these boys, man, they eat like horses and they drink gallons and gallons of milk. Pray for us in the name of Jesus. And so, but inevitably, I, I might walk through the house and there's like a dirty milk cup or a, a bowl or plate that had pizza on it. And it's just sitting there. And I walk by and say, son, get that up and clean up. And inevitably, I'll hear this conversation. Okay, I will. And I'll go on my way and come back maybe an hour later. And guess what I see? I mean, it's like antibiotics are growing right there in my house. It's, it's awful. And I'll say, in the name of Jesus, clean up that mess. And then I may hear some, I'm going to do it soon. I'm like, oh, you and God got the same timetable for soon. Because that's how we feel sometimes when we're battling the enemy, isn't it? And we forget what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. See, God's not on your timetable. He's not in a hurry. But he says, I'm going to put him under your heel. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. Which I think for the fifth time lets me tell you some good news. The Bible says that you are created in the line of the first of creation, Adam and Eve. And they were created to relate to and to worship God. And they had everything except they weren't God. And the enemy slithered his way into their lives and he began to say, hey, I think you'd make a good God. And I just need to tell you something. It was true then, it's true today. We make awful gods. We're not good at it. But Adam and Eve didn't understand that, so they took things into their own hands. We, we got this God, we can handle it. And so sin entered the world. All of a sudden, they opened their eyes and they were embarrassed because they didn't have any clothes on. And so God began to weave in this covenant of covering. And he, he, he shed the blood of an animal so that they could have their bodies covered. But in the midst of this, he gives a promise in Genesis chapter 3. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so that's what Paul's now referring to in Romans 16, 20, when he says, the God of peace will soon crush, crush Satan under your feet. So understand something. It's kind of like our salvation. Has Satan been crushed? This means yes. Remember when Jesus said, it's, it is finished. He was crushed. But guess what? He was crushed by the work of Jesus on the cross, but he's being crushed. You know how he's being crushed? He's being crushed by you. You're going to see that in just a second. But as you're sanctified, as you're more and more like Jesus, you're a Satan crusher. You're out there making a difference, putting away the evil of this world. But get this, one day he will be crushed. One day he's not even going to be able to make a whimper. There won't be a sound. He will be crushed. But Christ's followers, you out there in battle, let me just remind you, you're, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting 
from victory. That's where you are. Don't miss what he says. You will be under your feet. Did you hear that? Look at the verse again. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. Where? Under whose feet? Say my feet. If you're a Christ follower, he said he's going to crush him under your feet. You're part of the process. God uses you. And if this is true, if it is finished, then nothing you face in your life should shake you. And nothing you encounter in this world should keep you or stop you from giving your all for the cause of the gospel. You should pour it all out. You should say, I want to be all in. I don't want to waste my life. That's why he says, be careful out there. Not everybody has your best interest in mind. And then he gives us one more reminder. He looks around the room, at least in his mind's eye. Thinks about Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Tertius, and Gaius. Erastus, who works for the city, and Quartus. You know what he's reminding us? You were never expected to take this journey alone. So choose to partner with those in your little corner of the world. You can't do this by yourself. We need each other. That's why the church is so important. When we come together, we're stronger. We're we're linking arms. We're holding hands. We're shoulder to shoulder. He was saying, I'm not alone in this battle. And neither should you be. And then he gives his final words. The doxology. You know what the doxology is? I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are like the the church we served right out of seminary. It was First Baptist Montgomery. And they sang a doxology every week as the ushers brought down the the offering. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. They sang the doxology. That's not what I'm talking about. Doxology literally means words of praise. So after all of this, 16 chapters about what it means to be saved, how that looks, how we live it out, he then just concludes by praising God now to him who's able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So what's the point? 16 chapters. Big words. Memorable verses. What's the point? I think Paul at the end is saying, remember, it's not about you. So determine today to live your life for the glory of God. Say this. Say it's all about him. 
All of our life should be a doxology to the Lord. I want you to understand something. God is for you. He really is. He's he's for you so much that, number six, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He did something you could never do. He took the punishment. God is for you. But listen, church, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. God is for you in such a way that he establishes you. That's what this doxology begins with. Did you hear those words? Now to him who's able to establish you. We all have those moments in our life where we feel like, I can't do this. I'm I'm insufficient. I don't have what I need. It's telling us that he is able. 30 years of ministry. Man, it's like everybody's waiting to be established. I talk to college students and they're thinking, man, once I get established, I'm going to give my everything to the Lord. And then they're a young adult and they've met the love of their life. And they're saying, man, once we enjoy marriage for a little bit and maybe have some kids, we're, going to, we're established as a family. We're going to give our all to the Lord. And then they have kids and they find out what it's like chasing them all around the planet. And, and so they spend their life and they're thinking, man, all we can do is spin our wheels and we need to get established. We need to get settled. And once we're settled, Pastor, we're going to get back into church. And we're going to give our everything to the Lord. And, and then they grow up and then they're chasing them all around the states for sports and dance and music. And, and they think, man, things need to settle down. When we're empty nesters, we're going to be established and everything's going to be okay. And, and then we're going to give our everything to the Lord. And the next thing you know, they're in empty nesters and they're thinking, whoo, we got to take a break. We're going to go take a break. We're going to retire a little early, maybe go to the mountains, maybe go to the beach. And when we get established, we're going to give everything we can to the Lord. What's it going to take to get you established? He tells us that he establishes us. We're established in the gospel But then he says something really strange. He says, it's my gospel. Did you catch that? Now to him who's able to establish you in accordance with my gospel. Why do you say, why do you not say the gospel? Please don't miss this. This was never intended to be something ethereal. Something theoretical, something simply religious. God's love for you has always been personal. And until you understand that, you've not made it your gospel. And you may know all the facts that I've stated, you may be able to share Bible verses. But the gospel's not personal until it's penetrating every area of your life. I don't know what churches across our culture are closing their doors. You think it's because there's no power in the gospel? You think it's because the message doesn't work anymore? 
Do you really think it's maybe because a pastor is not a good enough communicator or because the music's off key? Is that why we're closing doors? Or could it be that the messengers of the gospel have not really made it my gospel? It's not penetrated our lives. So, so Paul says, hey, by the way, this has been the story from the beginning. Going back to the art, going back to the garden when the serpent crusher was first mentioned. God has been revealing his plan. This gospel, this good news, this pathway to salvation, it's always been at work through the prophets, through the Psalms, through the gospels. God has been painting the way. And then he makes it clear what that way is. Verse 26, he says, It's revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of our eternal God so that all the Gentiles might come, now notice this, to the obedience that comes from faith. Now, there's only one other time in Romans that we have that phrase, obedience that comes from faith. And it's found in chapter 1. Now, why is that so significant? Listen to it in chapter 1. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith for his name's sake. What is that obedience that comes through faith? In this parting shot, Paul is reminding us once again of what separates Christianity from every other world religion. It's not only not about you. There's nothing you can do to get this right on your own. We're not accepted because we obey. This isn't a moralism contest about how good you can be. No, we obey because we've been accepted. We're able to obey because that obedience comes from our faith. That's why he says he is the only wise God. <laughs> what does that imply? If he is the only wise God, what does that imply? There are gods with little g's, right? Are they wise? This means no. So let me just tell you. Let me break that down for you. For those of you in the back. That means money is not a wise God. Money can become a God for you. Don't make any mistake. Money can become a God. But it's not a wise God. Because you can assemble a big old pile of money. And what's going to happen when one day that doctor calls and says, Hey, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you got cancer. What good is that money going to do for you? Status, man, you can climb the corporate ladder. You can become Mr. Big Shot or Miss Big Shot, and people can call you the name you want them to call you. But when it comes to the end, what's that going to do for you? I'm so thankful that God created us with the ability to enjoy relationships between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. He created sexual intercourse, and that's a good thing. But guess what? Sex is not a good God. It's not a wise God. You might have pleasure for a moment. But then that pleasurable moment will pass and you'll try to fill that legitimate need 
in a counterfeit kind of way. It's not a wise God. Your friends, they're not wise gods. I'll shake your world, but your family, that's not a wise God. And let me just set the record straight. You are not a wise God. You make a sorry God. And so when we look to God and say, hey, I got this, I can handle it. He may say, okay, go ahead. But that's not a wise move. But if we understand who he is and what he's done and all that that means, then we're prompted to live for his glory. Caught that right? To him, the only wise God, be glory forever. The glory of God's a hard thing to explain. I'll acknowledge that. I mean, if, if I'm if I'm talking about that drum set back there, I can begin to explain it and you know, these round things that have something on top of them and you hit them with sticks and they make noise and you can keep I can begin to explain that. Even stuff like that to my daughter who was born blind. When you begin to explain the glory of God, it begins to be more difficult. Like explaining beauty. But in 13 of the 16 chapters, Paul talks about the glory of God. Let me give you a few of the examples. Chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Talking about how bad our situation is. How we've walked away from the glory of God. Romans 3.23, he makes it clear. All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. Romans 5.1 tells us what he did because of that. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Romans 8, that verse that really encourages us, that we speak to, says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And then the peak of the summit in Romans eleven thirty six: for from him and through him and for him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. And then in Romans six twenty seven, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then he says, amen. So be it. If I were to sum this whole book up, I would say it speaks of God's sovereign purpose for all of creation, which is to glorify himself by grace through faith in Jesus as he crushes Satan under our feet through the power of the gospel. So here's what you've got to ask. Is it your gospel? I mean, I, I don't know if in 30 years there's been a message where so many times I've reminded you of what the gospel is, what the good news is. So I'm just asking you, is it your gospel? Can you say, like the Apostle Paul said, my gospel? 
Do you know Jesus as, as your Savior? Now, we're not just mistakers who need a second chance. We're sinners who need a Savior. Is it your gospel? I wrestled through, even as I was getting ready this morning, that statement that I said to you that this was the first time in 30 years that I've preached this through verse by verse. I got mad at myself. I'm like, why? Is this so good? And then I began to think, I think it's because I'm so weak and I'm so frail and I was so afraid I'll get this wrong because there's some stuff I don't understand. And then it's like the Holy Spirit of God just reminded me, yeah, make sure everybody knows that. You don't have to understand everything about God to trust who He is and what He's done. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekday mornings at 9, here on Faith Talk Tampa. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.